On today's show, a recap of Canada's pre-tournament match against Switzerland ahead of the World Juniors and why Uri Slavkovsky was benched in his most recent game against the Arizona Coyotes. All that and much more on Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, I break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakash. I'm a scout and prospect analyst across multiple platforms, including this one. And on today's show, I'll be breaking down Team Canada's exhibition match against Switzerland out of the World Juniors. We've got a glimpse into Canada's potential forward lineup. Uh, and uh, Connor Bedard was, of course, really impressive in that game. So I'll break that down for you first and foremost. Then in our second segment, I'll uh, run you through a quick break down of the 2022 World Junior A Challenge, um, in, which ended in a gold medal win for Team USA. Uh, there were some interesting prospects at the tournament, both drafted and draft eligible. Uh, so I'll run you through the standouts to sort of break down who played well. And then finally, in our final segment, we'll look at Uri Slavkovsky's last game against the Arizona Coyotes. We'll look at why he was benched and why the Canadians' first overall pick in the 2022 draft wasn't able to seize his opportunity, despite the fact that most of the Habs wingers are underperforming right now. But before we get into any of that, just remember to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and make sure to make us your first listen of the day on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. It is always very much appreciated. So let's get right into it with Canada versus Switzerland, this pre-tournament game that they played, um, you know, ahead of the World Juniors. It's a sort of a preparation tournament. They're going to play three uh, preparation matches, at least Team Canada will. Uh, and this first one against Switzerland, they won that game 6-0 against the Swiss uh, national team, with Connor Bedard being by far the best prospect on the ice. He tallied three assists, including an absolute world-class backhand pass, um, you know, behind the back to Shane Wright for a tap-in on the far post. Is that typical sort of Patrick Kane, um, William Nylander sort of play where uh, the player drives behind the net, um, fakes as if they're going to go around the net, but then passes a short side on the backhand? Uh, Connor Bedard was able to, to sprint into the offensive zone uh, and, and pull off that play in tight to find Shane Wright on the near post for a tap and goal. Uh, so yeah, Bedard had three assists and assisted on both goals by Shane Wright. Shane Wright had two goals and one assist in that game. And uh, the other player on that line was Brennan Othman, who scored a goal. So let's break down the lines, actually. So the first line was Brennan Othman, Shane Wright at center, Connor Bedard on the right wing. This is going to be the main offensive weapon for Team Canada. This is going to be sort of their nuclear bomb offensively that's going to sort of push them through a lot of these teams um, that are in the higher end. Um, then their second line was Adam Fantilli, Logan Stankoven, and Dylan Gunther. Now, this line had a quiet night offensively, but um, they didn't concede much defensively either. I think Logan Stankoven's presence on that line and the intensity that it brings up to that line is going to help them a ton moving forward and, and in terms of you know being able to dominate teams down low on the forecheck. Uh, they're going to be sort of that forechecking line Um Fantelli and Stackoven especially are going to be working really well off each other and on the forecheck. And Gunther's the type of guy who's going to find space off the puck and wire cocks in. So I think that combination works really well. Um, then the third line uh, was really impressive for me in this game. It was Zach Dean, Nathan Gaucher, and Joshua Roy. Um, so Zach Dean was a first round pick of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, he's paired with Nathan Gaucher, who was a first round pick of the Anaheim Ducks, and Joshua Roy, who's played in this tournament before and was a fifth round pick by the Montreal Canadiens. Now, Roy is one of the best players at finding 
space off the puck at always being in the right place at the right time um, on this Canada lineup. Uh, he's consistently going to find space and, and make plays in the offensive zone um, just by being very sneaky and, and offensively gifted. Um, you add that to Nathan Gaucher's ability to, to protect pucks, to, to play the short passing game, um, to, to his ability to find you know passing lanes under sticks and all that. Uh, that's going to pair really well with Joshua Roy. And then Zach Dean's a high-end playmaker as well. So I think both of them are going to be feeding Joshua Roy a lot. It helps also that Nathan Gaucher has a, has a goal-scoring touch as well. He's got a heavy shot. So I think that combination is going to work really well off each other. They they did in this game. They scored two goals to, to sort of start the game for Canada. Um, they anticipated each other's routes really well, uh, read each other's decisions really well on the ice, and they played their checking role to perfection. They were really dominant on the forecheck. So that line is going to be one of the sleepers in this tournament, um, a line that's really underrated, but it's going to do a lot of the heavy work for Team Canada. I think they're going to work really well off each other and stick together as a line moving forward. And then the fourth line was Reed Schaefer, Caden Bankier, and Zach Osipchuk. Now, Osipchuk is a former second-round pick of the uh, Ottawa Senators. Um, Reed Schaefer is a uh, first-rounder uh, of this past draft uh, by the Edmonton Oilers. And Caden Bankier was a third-round pick. Now, these three guys, there's a lot of defensive value you know, in these three guys on the fourth line. But you've also got three guys who can shoot the puck really well. Now, I'm not sure who's going to be the playmaker on this line. Um, I, I didn't see enough of them to be able to sort of break down what each player's sort of niche is going to be on that line. But I'm guessing that Austin Chuck is going to pick up that role because I think he has the best playmaking touch out of the three. Um, Schaefer's playmaking is near non-existent, in my opinion. Um, Bankers is sort of below average, but Officer Check at least has sort of a, a slightly above average playmaking touch. So I think he's going to be the one sort of finding them in soft ice and contributing to them, you know, scoring goals and all that. Uh, but again, a lot of defensive value on this third, on this fourth line. Um, they're going to work off each other a lot in, in terms of uh, suppressing offensive chances for the opponents and, and doing a good job of that. Then we go to the defensive core for Team Canada in this game. We had Ethan Del Mastro and Olin Zellweger. Now, uh, Zellweger, as I predicted, it was the top power play quarterback in this in this game and will probably be for the rest of the tournament. He looked absolutely great in this game. Uh, and I think that Ethan Del Mastro complements him really well and allows him to drive up the ice in possession. He allows him that sort of liberty, that freedom to jump in through the rush, create offensively while Del Mastro sort of shuts it down defensively. But what's also good about Ethan Del Mastro is he also does have that, that, um, that offensive touch. So he's able to make plays. He has great hands, you know, that he can use in the offensive zone. He walks the blue line pretty well. But I think Del Mastro is mainly going to be sort of manning a defensive role on that pairing. Then we go to Nolan Allen and Brent Clark. In my opinion, Brent Clark was the second best defenseman in this game after Zellweger. Um, I think I think he made no mistakes, you know, in, in the in the in the minutes I saw of him. He contributed to the score sheet with an assist, and overall, he just looked really solid and and was defending the rush really well, especially. And then you go to Kevin Korczynski and Jack Matera as the third pairing. Now, I'm not sure what to make of this pairing. I, I you know, for me, Korczynski has improved in the WHL this season. He, he's shown some improvement, some some strides in his game. And Matir, for me, is a is a really sort of fail safe type defender who, um, sort of like Del Mastro's role, is going to be on that first pair. He's really going to sort of sit back and and um, sort of prevent any major blunders from happening when Korczynski flies up the ice. But then finally, we've got Thomas Milic, uh, who was in net for this game. He got the shutout. He wasn't really heavily tested, but he wasn't really snoozing in net either. He uh, he was aware and calm. He kept his team in the game, which is what you expect from a player, uh, from a goaltender on Team Canada, you know, for a team that's this dominant. Uh, and Benjamin Goudreau was backing him up. I think that Goudreau is going to be starting next game, uh, more, most likely just to sort of see what he looks like 
Um, so, so it's going to be interesting to see how those two uh, goaltenders compare. But so far, I've been impressed with Milic. He had a really good game and uh, was, was very composed in net. So you look a bit further at the score sheet. So Joshua Roy had a goal and an assist. Same thing same thing for Nathan Gaucher. Both of them started off the score sheet for uh, Team Canada. Um, and Zach Dean had an, had an assist on each of those goals. So he had two assists in this game. Selweger had a goal. Brent Clark had an assist. And Dylan Gunther was the only sort of productive member of that second line. who He, he got two power play assists in this game. Um, but moving on to Switzerland's side... For me, the player I was, you know, looking forward to to look at in this game was Leon Bixell, um, a first round pick of the uh, Dallas Stars. Bixell was a very weird one for me in this game. Um, he didn't really seem to be very clear on what type of defenseman he wanted to be. There were a couple times where he jumped into the rush, but then he seemed to pull back and hesitate. Um, and other times we were trying to play hard in his own zone, it, it, it you know caused a penalty uh, for his team. He took himself out of position a couple times, so. I don't think, you know, Bixell is very clear yet on what his path to the NHL is. I think he's sort of clear on what his strengths are. His, his skating's really good. He uses it really well. He's got a heavy shot, all that. But I'm just not sure if he knows what the, the thing that's going to take him to the NHL will be yet. And, and that's sort of a work in progress. But again, he's in his draftless one year. He's a, he's a young player, got a lot of runway to improve. And he's already one of the most utilized player on uh, the Swiss under-20 team. So there's a lot of room for improvement. But that's going to be it for our first segment about uh, the Canada versus Switzerland pre preparation game. Now we're going to go into my breakdown of the standout players from the 2022 World Junior A Challenge right after these messages. Do you like betting? BetOnline.net is your number one source for any wager that interests you. From the NFL to the NBA to the MLB and even NCAA football, UFC, golf, anything you like, they have you covered. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game on their website or app. They're, of course, a great source for all of your sports wagering information. With live betting, so you can keep up with the bets as they unfold. Uh, they've got up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. They're the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, moving on to the 2022 World Junior A Challenge. Now, uh, this is a tournament for under-19 prospects, so prospects who are 18 years old or younger, and it's mainly for those who didn't make the cut for the World Juniors. So Team USA won gold over Canada East in this tournament, um, and Flyers prospect Alex Bump scored the game winner for Team USA as they took the game 5-2. Uh, they scored an empty netter once it was 4-2, um, you know, to, to sort of seal the deal. Uh, but Alex Bump wasn't really a standout for me in this tournament. That was his only goal, his only point in this tournament. Uh, I want to start it off by talking about Cole Knubel for Team USA. Um, so we're going to start with a couple of USA players and move our way down to Canada and uh, Sweden. So Cole Knubel for me, he, he's a 2023 re-entry prospect. So he's passed over um, in the entire seven rounds of the 2022 NHL draft and is eligible for 2023 as his second year of draft eligibility so he had three goals six assists for nine points and six games played he was team usa's go-to guy um in this tournament if they were leading by a goal if they were trailing by a goal if you know they they needed someone on the power play on the penalty kill you name it he was out there he was doing the work um a big issue in his game was that um, he didn't really have a lot of playmaking elements to his game. That's one of the main things that caused him to get passed over uh, in 2022. But this year, he's really added a lot of playmaking elements to his game, a lot of short-range passing, a lot of that stuff. And it's been really impressive to see the growth in his game. 
Um, so, you know, he's always been a really good net front presence. He's always been really good along the boards, but he's added some open ice skill. He's added those playmaking elements. And that's probably going to be the difference that makes him a draft pick this year. So it's going to be impressive to, to sort of see him go about the season. Uh, he's been really good in the USHL. So it's just a matter of time before he, he grows into himself and, and adds some tools to his game. He's already on the path there. So really impressive stuff from him. Then we go to Sam Rinzel, uh, the 25th overall pick in the 2022 NHL draft by the Chicago Blackhawks. He's a 6'4 right-handed defender. Um, he had a goal and four assists for five points in six games in this tournament. And I mean, you rarely see six foot four defensemen with his level of raw skill. His skating is really good. The way that he takes pucks mid stride and sort of makes plays at top speed. That's really outstanding. Um, the issue with Renzel is that his game is still very, very raw. So even in this tournament where he was dominant against his age group uh, and players that are younger, uh, there were still some decision-making issues both on and off the puck that sort of made me want more from him. Um, he's got a lot of upside, though, so it's going to be interesting to see him go about it uh, in the next few years and, and sort of improve his game. Then we go from Renzel to another defenseman of Team USA, and Andrew Strathman. He is a left-handed defenseman that's eligible for the 2023 NHL draft. Um, he only had one goal, no assists in six games, but uh, from in my opinion, he was uh, the one of the best defensemen in uh, Team USA's team. Uh, and overall in this tournament, he was tremendous on rush defense. He was, you know, preventing uh, opponents from setting up, from from you know gaining the offensive zone in control. Um, you know, he was shutting down opponents left and right, and and doing a really great job of being aware of who the threat is uh, off the rush. On top of that, he showed a lot of intelligence, a lot of energy offensively. He was hitting seams consistently. He was timing his support runs um, to, to sort of come into pockets of space. Uh, with speed differentials in order to, to close down on the uh, on the net with with purpose. Um, so I, I really liked what I saw from him, but it really needs to reel in the energy sometimes. Um, he, he does tend to push the pace a lot, but I, I want to see him sort of slow down the play and and uh, show a bit more timing in, in terms of his overall game, in terms of, uh, you know, not always trying the most outlandish and daring things on the ice, but just, you know, defaulting to safe plays from time to time. But... You know, I really like him, and he's sort of stood out for me, and I, I sort of start to have the feeling that he might be worth a second-round pick in the 2023 NHL draft. Then we move on to Canada West. Now, Canada West um, made its way to uh, the semifinals, lost to Canada East, who uh, they had a goaltender who just stood on his head and, and made every save possible, but... Um, they had the best scorer, the, the best point scorer in this tournament, which was Aiden Fink, who's eligible for the 2023 NHL draft. Now, he led the whole tournament in points with five goals, seven assists for 12 points in six games. He was too quick, too energetic, too smart um, for his opponents every night. You rarely see the level of offensive intelligence and, and maturity uh, that he just played in this tournament from a draft-eligible prospect, much less of draft-eligible prospect who's playing in the AJHL um, it's a tough league to scout because of how porous defenses tend to be in, in, in that league. Uh, and especially since Fink plays for the Brooks Bandits, who are the top team in the AJHL. Uh, but Fink has so many pro habits. I mean, he, he's leading the Bandits right now and leading the AJHL overall with 26 goals, 41 assists for 67 points in 33 games. So he's over two points per game right now in the AJHL. And I'll definitely be looking at more tape of his during the holidays. But from what I saw from him in this tournament, he looked like he looks like a top 50 prospect in this draft. Um, but again, he's 5'9". He's playing in the AJHL, so he might get overlooked. Um, but I think his value is really high. He could be one of those guys that, you know, cements his place in the top 50 by the time the year is done. Because what he's doing in the AJHL right now and what he did at this tournament... Um, 
not just in terms of the production, but just his overall game, the habits, the the maturity, the, the intelligence, the delay game. There are so many sort of layers to his game that I really like that I'm starting to think he's definitely worth a top 50 pick. And then finally, we'll end it with Otto Stenberg, a player who's already in my first round for this 2023 NHL draft. Uh, the viewings I had of him in this tournament made me just more comfortable with keeping him in my first round. He looked like a pro amongst 18-year-olds. Uh, the pace of play that he plays with, the, the the intelligence and the ability to to hit it, hit pucks in stride and, and not sort of slow down to pick him up. Um, it's very sort of, he looks like a professional player out there. I loved his habits in all three zones as well. I love this playmaking touch in this tournament, even though he, he only had three points, uh, in, in the tournament, I think he could have had a lot more, uh, with more clinical teammates. I mean, he was finding seams really well. Every time he got the puck, he had his next play in mind and a good idea of what the best way was to execute it. So that really helped him a lot in this tournament. He was proactive with his puck touches and almost constantly knew what to do with the puck once he had it. So really sort of polished game that that's definitely worth a first round look in this draft i don't think he's going to be a top 15 pick um definitely not as high on him as i was at the start of the year but he's definitely worth a first rounder in my opinion but that's a breakdown of the standouts for the 2022 world junior a challengers now we're going to go into uh why uri Slavkovsky was benched in his last game and what's going on on his side right after these messages all right, so to finish off this episode, I want to talk about Yuri Slavkovsky's struggles as of late. Now, he had a very poor game against the Arizona Coyotes and uh, got benched for a while, uh, you know, for the Montreal Canadiens. He ended the game with the worst overall impacts for the Canadiens and the worst defensive impact by far in terms of microstats. Um, you know, analytically on paper, it was it was horrible. I'll, I'll talk about the, I'll talk about it more in detail here. So he turned over the puck a lot of times. He got caught with his head down on a couple of hits, and overall, he was struggling to sort of string together plays. Um, you know, he didn't pass the eye test. He was really rough to watch. But if you look at the the stats on 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 the surface, if you just look at the stats that's available on the NHL website, for example, ten thirty four of ice time in this game. Um, he took one penalty, was on the ice for a goal against, and he didn't take a single shot on goal. Um, in fact, he only has one shot in his last three games, and he's pointless in those three games. So, uh, been pretty rough for him on the surface score sheet. But then you look at the advanced stats, the on ice play driving metrics. Um, in his game versus Arizona, Savkovsky was on the ice for six shot attempts, four uh, in those 10 minutes. So, only six shot attempts, four, and 20 against. Um, in terms of shots on goal, 3-4, 14 against in that game. And in terms of expected goals, this one's the most egregious. He, he almost had two full expected goals against when he was on the ice versus only 0.24 expected goals for. So he, he his team was controlling only 10% of the expected goal share when he was on the ice, um, which was sort of about 50% worse than anyone else on the team on average. So he was also on the ice for eight high-danger chances against and only one for his team. So 8-1 to one high danger chances uh, in favor of the other team when he was on the ice. That's just, I mean, the play driving metrics were horrible in this game. He, he had by far the worst relative impact on shot attempts, um, shots on goal, expected goals, scoring chances. Basically, every play driving metric you can think of, he had the worst relative impact. So impact compared to his teammates. In short, he had a terrible game individually, and it hurt his team a lot when he was on the ice. Why did that happen? Well, sometimes bad games happen. Uh, some games, Slavkovsky's driving the bus for his line. He's carrying the puck up the ice, winning back pucks in the offensive zone, and just leading the forecheck. This was just not one of those games. But the thing with Slavkovsky is that he works off confidence. So when he took a big hit from Shane Goss's bear in the second period, after working extensively between games with the Habs training staff to keep his head up and avoid getting caught off guard like that, 
that hit just seemed to shake his confidence in his abilities. And what happened at that point is he started second doubting a lot of his decisions. He started taking extra split seconds to make plays. Um, and that in the NHL is a death sentence. Uh, as soon as you start, you know, taking an extra second to make plays, that's the difference between success and failure. The NHL, you know, NHL hockey is measured in milliseconds. So if you just take a tiny bit more time to make plays, um, your opponents, even the worst fourth liners in the NHL, are are very good at playing instinctively, at playing quickly, and at closing down your your passing lanes, your opportunities uh, in a flash. So you know, it was it was sort of an immediate issue. Um, he was just getting read like a children's book, um, turnovers, all that stuff. So the lack of confidence really made him struggle a lot in that game. And then he got benched, and that's sort of where the cycle started. So he got benched because he was performing poorly because he was lacking confidence, but the benching is causing him to lack confidence. And that's just, that becomes sort of a circular issue, um, you know, for his team, he's struggling to, to string together plays. Uh, when he does get out there, it's a 30 second shift. He doesn't have much time to, to, to sort of do what he wants to do. So he tries to overthink it and, and make sure that he makes the right play. It doesn't work out, um, sits back for another five, 10 minutes. So it, it was really sort of difficult for him to get his groove after he started getting benched. Uh, more and more and at one point you just didn't hop on the ice for a good solid 10-15 minutes uh, of, a, of a period so just the fact that he's going through this um, this season for the Montreal Canadiens while you know players like Yoel Armia like Mike Hoffman uh, Josh Anderson you know all these all these wingers who are struggling to perform struggling to produce are still getting those opportunities regularly uh, you can add Jonathan Dewey to that list um, you know, it's just, it's, it speaks to sort of the, the, the expectations put upon Slavkovsky in this season. I think that, um, what's expected of him is that, you know, if he's not producing offensively, that he contributes defensively. He's been doing a decent job of that on and off, but for me, Slavkovsky just strikes me as a type of guy who's going to be leading your four check to be winning puck backs along the boards. I mean, he got kicked off the power play as well. I mean, he, he, for, for, you know, the thing that made him so good, um, for the Canadians in, in a sort of recent four or five game stretch uh, before this three game drought was the fact that he got bumped up to the top six because some some wingers weren't cutting it and Brendan Gallagher got injured. So he was put in a situation that's new with teammates that are really good and he sort of fed off that confidence. He felt like that was sort of a, an act of trust from his coaches and you saw Sofkowski sort of come out of his shell, try some more things, um, play more quickly, more instinctively, you know, not overthink things. And on top of that, he got put on the top power play. He was playing on the top power play with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield and, and all of these guys. Um, he was playing as their net front presence. But the issue is, I don't think any individual player is going to change anything about that, that power play system. The Habs have two set plays right now to get in the offensive zone. Only two set plays to get in the offensive zone. Both of them are very predictable. And when they finally do end up getting in the offensive zone, let's say by some miracle they win an offensive zone faceoff or, you know, cut through a defender and, and get it, you know, in control to the offensive zone. Well, at that point, they've got two set plays. They've either got the Nick Suzuki wrister from the right half wall or they've got the Cole Caulfield one-timer from the left half wall. Uh, so both both of the set plays, are, you know, end up with shots from the outside. There's no place to to play the puck down low to to get puck touches around the net and that kind of thing. It's really just Suzuki and Caulfield. So when Slavkovsky is put in that situation where he's a net front presence in a system where both set plays end up with shots from the outside, you know, there's only so much that Yuri Slavkovsky could do. So he got bumped from the first power play down back to the second power play. Now he's he and against Arizona, he didn't play on the power play at all. So it was just very difficult for him to get his groove on when he had so many different um so many different things working against him and on top of that he was sort of 
losing that confidence. But it, the way to to help Slavkovsky gain his confidence back isn't by minimizing his ice time and sheltering him. It's by throwing them out there. And, you know, especially for a team like Montreal that has nothing to lose, that has stakes in this upcoming draft in terms of the lottery. I mean, what do they have to lose in terms of letting Slavkovsky just run the show and, and regain his confidence by his play on the ice? But it's still sort of interesting to see that Yuri Slavkovsky hasn't been able to sort of grasp his chance uh, properly, despite the fact that they've got Brendan Gallagher injured and at least four or five wingers right now who aren't producing up to par. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of time, a lot of runway for his development, and usually players of his size take more time to develop. Uh, we've seen it with Tage Thompson before, a player who uh, went from looking like a bust to right now being second in the NHL in goal scoring. So, you know, sometimes it takes time with some prospects, and I'm hopeful that Slavkovsky is going to be able to turn this ship around uh, with enough time, with enough confidence, and enough uh, coaching uh, on and off the ice. But that's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platforms, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. For your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today. They're a great source for all your information that you need on all of your favorite leagues, uh, from NFL to NBA to, to NHL, all that stuff. Uh, they're going to keep you updated and make sure you're the smartest person at your water cooler when you're talking sports with your colleagues. Now, this has been Locked On NHL Prospects with Hattie Kalakesh. And hope you tune in next time.